Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. Well, let me just um, hit a couple of high points because I think this is, the, this is the important part of this whole series. Romans 3.20, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. When you look at the law, it shows you how far short you come to Jesus' standard. His standard's perfection, and we're far from it. But it also, it doesn't just point out your need. It points you to the Savior and his grace and his mercy and and. Our number one need, we, I'm not going to go back and read it, but if you read from Romans chapter 7, verse 24 through the first verse of, of chapter 8, it shows us that our number one need is a relationship with God. No matter how bad you've fouled up, there is no condemnation. No condemnation. Now that is a hard concept for our minds to understand because we have, we, when, from the time we are born, Till, probably till you die, the world will tell you actions have consequences. I learned that, I mean, you learned that as a two-year-old. You, you know, you think you know something about electricity? Stick that fork in that, that receptacle. You'll find out actions have consequences. And God says, yes, they do. But my action on the cross trumps all the consequences of your sin. That just, my brain can't handle that. I can't, I don't understand that song. And it's been criticized because, well, God's love is not reckless. It appears reckless to me. When I look at my life, when I look at it, I mean, you, you look at, and, and this is an absolute horrendous example, but you look at the life of Hitler. The man was was I'm convinced he was demon-possessed. He, he devil was trying to use him to wipe out the, 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 the nation of Israel so that God could not bring his, his promises to that nation. And if God can't bring the promises that he promised with, with they were unconditional, then he's a liar. He failed. And the devil takes over. And yet, had he accepted Christ, he would be in heaven today. His sins were covered. Now the problem is, and, and you see it with Hitler, I have, I have no doubt that at the end of Hitler's life, Jesus was the farthest thing from his mind. It's the problem of waiting to the last minute. Well, I'll forgive later. I'll, I'll, I'll ask Jesus into my heart later. There may not be a later. And when you get there, you can have hardened your heart so hard that you can't. You can't get out of it. We'll, we'll see a little bit of that pattern. But our God is not a passive. He is active. He is, he is working harder than we are to have a relationship with us. He desires us so much that he gave up heaven and came to earth and paid the price that he paid. Now, the, the seventh commandment, in one way, it, it's, it's, it's like the, the sixth one. 
in Exodus 20, verse 13, we, we looked at last week, you shall not murder. Well, today we're going to see in verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. Now, these two are related in that, that this is the second of the commandments that Jesus spoke on and said, goes a little deeper than just the surface. You know, Jesus had a way of, of um, if you read through the Gospels, when people would ask him questions, he would answer the question behind the question. You know, there's an ulterior motive sometimes when we take something to God, well, Lord, what about this? And he will deal with the issue behind. I, the, the, the best example, and, and I think we'll see this later, you know, it's getting to be springtime. When my kids were little, they got so excited in the springtime, the grass would start growing, and suddenly one day, all these beautiful yellow flowers would sprout out of our lawn. Because I'm, I'm a farm boy. If you can't bale it and feed it to a cow, it ain't worth messing with. So all I did was mow my grass. I never treated it. I didn't do anything. It's just grass. So we'd get all these pretty little flowers, and it was like, oh, Daddy, look, at it. it's so pretty, it's so pretty. It's like, enjoy them. Because I'm mowing this afternoon. As soon as the dew's off the grass, we're going to mow. And I'm going to kill all those flowers. And sometimes we deal with our issues of life just like that. We come and we mow the flowers off. And we think we've dealt with the issue. And next week, there's pretty little yellow flowers right back. Because we didn't deal with the root issue. Jesus is going to deal here with the root issue. The root issue is not adultery. Now, that is part of the issue. It's the fruit. But the, 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 if, if, if you don't deal with the root, the fruit's just going to keep appearing and appearing and appearing. Jesus did this. It's in the, uh, um, the Sermon on the Mount. <coughs> Excuse me. Before we go there, I, I just want to touch one thing. This is so serious Exodus um, 20, verse 14 says, you shall not commit adultery. But in Leviticus 20, verse 10, God takes this so seriously that he says that the price of adultery can be death. So this is not something, when I say the, 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 we need to deal with the root, not the fruit, the fruit's deadly. Don't, don't mistake that. The fruit is deadly. It can cost you your life. But, but in, in the um, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus starts in verse 27, he said, and he, he did the same pattern last week dealing with murder. He said, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What he was dealing with was not the fruit, not the actual having sexual relations with someone you're not married with or married to, but he's, he's dealing with the internal desire because it's, it's not just the fruit that's important. And, and when he says here that um, whoever looks at a woman to lust, he's not just talking about glancing. This is not a casual glance because let's face it, um, you can't get away from, from sex in advertising. I remember as a teenager, I, I, can't, I can't count the number of coaches, my parents, other people that tell you, because, you know, as a teenage boy, you have three interests. 
cars, sports, and girls. And probably those are listed in the wrong order. Girls would be first. But, but real close second to girls is cars. And, you know, I was too cheap to ever, ever pay for a subscription to, uh, to Car and Track or to, to uh, Hot Rod Magazine was the real one for the teenagers. But, man, when it hit our school library, I was right there. I got it out, and you just devour that. And you'd look at these cars, and you just, your mouth waters. Oh, man. I mean, it's the same thing. You go, you, you get a guy near a new car lot. Oh, it's just like, you know, something takes over you. You find that inner demon. It pulls you. And you just want to salivate over that brand new car. You just want to get in. If you can't buy it, just let me get in and sit and smell for a minute. It just makes you feel good. But I've had more than one, one, one adult in my life look at you and say, Son, you realize that girl, that pretty girl in the bikini sitting on that hood, she does not come with the car. <laughs> and it's like, I don't care. <laughs> Why do you have a pretty girl in a bikini sitting on the hood of a car? Because advertisers will tell you sex sells. And I challenge you, any advertisement you find for any drink, and all the way from alcohol to just Pepsi, if you see a still picture and there's ice in a glass, you go examine that ice. They will have painted and drawn a subliminal message in that ice that, that will either be the shape of a woman or it will spell out S-E-X. Why in the world do they do that? Because sex sells. And, and it really sells to men, but it also sells to women. It, they, they're subtle about it, but they know it works, so they use it. That's what we're, we're getting bombarded by this stuff all day, every day, and you don't even realize it sometimes. I mean, sometimes you go down the, the road and the, you, you, see the, you see the billboards, and they're just, you look at them and you think, 50 years ago, they would have burned that thing down. But it's just commonplace today. We get hit with those images constantly. Why are they doing that? They're trying to stir up desire. And they're trying to link the, the desire, the sexual desire, to desire for the, whatever it is they're selling. Because if they can link those two, they will... The principle holds. I, I just was listening to a guy on YouTube who was saying that in ancient Israel, when they would start teaching little kids the Torah... When they would read the first verse to them, they would read the passage, and then they would dip their finger in a little bit of honey and rub the honey on the, inside the child's mouth so that the child would relate sweetness with the word because they wanted them to be attracted. Because, I mean, let's face it, we all are attracted to, to sugar. If there's an addiction in this country, boy, we have that one, and sugar is addicting. Back then, about the only sugar you had was honey. They wanted to link the sweetness of the honey with the sweetness of the word so that when this child grows up, anytime they hear the word, they just automatically get this warm feeling of sweetness and attractiveness because they would were, they were just link those two in their mind. Advertisers are going to do this constantly. But, but when Jesus says to look... He's not talking about the, a glance, because let's face it, in our world, you can't get away from it. What he, do, what he is talking about is, and he's using men as the example, but it works for, for either sex, 
It's looking in such a way that you are wakening up on purpose, passion. It's looking with and, and deliberately trying to awaken desires. Have you ever, I, I remember growing up, you know, I'm, I'm a child of the 60s. I had friends, they literally, and I never understood it because, boy, it would have never happened in my house. They had subscription to Playboy magazine. And their parents, oh, it's harmless, they're boys. And they'd have stacks of these magazines. Why would you look at that? Only one reason. You're awakening a desire. You're feeding that. And when you feed that, that's where the problem comes in. Because you start down a path. It's the same way last week when, we, when, when Jesus dealt with murder. And he said the root problem is not murder, it's anger. If you have anger and you keep feeding on it and keep feeding on it and keep, keep nursing it, it will eventually get you to murder. Even if it's not physical murder, you'll cut people off. Same way here, if you purposely look with your eyes to stir stuff up, feelings up, it will eventually end in death. James, this is the root of it. First chapter of James, verse, starting with verse 13. Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. And the understood part at the end of that verse, he doesn't tempt anyone with evil. Because I will tell you, this is a little squirrel, but I'm going to chase it. He will tempt you with good. He will put scriptures in front of you, ideas in front of you. You ought to do this, it will help you. And that's he's trying to awaken a desire within you to do the right thing. When it says he doesn't tempt anyone, he doesn't tempt anyone with evil. But James tells us where our temptations do come from in verse 14. For each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. If you notice, most of the areas where we will have problems, we already have a natural desire. If you are a normal human being, you have sexual desires. You have food desires. Food is not sinful. Gluttony is. Sex is not sinful, as long as you confine it to the area of marriage between a man and a woman. Just ridiculous that you have to add that, <laughs> but it's true. And, and it's, it's not sinful, but when you get it out of its bounds, it's much like fire. We've got furnaces, four of them just in this feeding this room. They all burn gas. In the, in, when the cold part of the winter, we've got fires all over this campus burning, heating buildings. Why don't we have burned buildings down? Well, occasionally, when that fire gets out of bounds, you do burn a building down. That's why we have fire departments, because people sometimes lose control of the fire. Their furnace, you know, you get the dust built up or something goes haywire, and suddenly it gets out of where it's supposed to be, and it destroys. The sexual desire, when it is, is kept where it's supposed to, it's just like the, the gas in a furnace. It can do good, but... Think about it. What was the first commandment that God gave 
Adam and Eve, when he brought Eve and introduced her to Adam, he said, go forth and be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. God looked at Adam and Eve and he said, look, you two are very attractive. Go have sex, have babies. We need lots of people. God's command. It's not God. And I, I was raised in a, in a church where sex was evil. Sex, whether it was in marriage or, or not in marriage, was always evil. That was the unspoken rule. It was the forbidden fruit. No, it wasn't. It's only sex outside of marriage that's a, that is the forbidden fruit. In marriage, it's godly. And in, in, in it's fact, it's God's command. But go back to verse 14. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. It's interesting. The, the, the Greek word there for enticed literally means it's the bait. You have this desire and Satan sets a bait in a trap for you. It says, then when the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. James just said there's a process here. You have these desires. If you allow the enemy to bait that desire and you go after the bait, then you will conceive and you will give birth to sin. And then when that sin is fully grown, it will bring death. It will bring death either to a marriage, to a relationship, to part of your body. The, the death can manifest anyway, ultimately to killing your own body. You go out early. We have these desires. They're not evil in and of themselves. But what Jesus says here is the man is condemned who deliberately uses his eyes to stimulate the desire outside of where it should be in its confines. The best example we see of this is in Romans chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 18. And I'm going to read from the New Living Translation because it just worded a little better. But in verse 18 it says, But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Notice that first thought. Wicked people suppress the truth. Because there's always this debate. If you talk to people about evangelism, well, what about those that have never heard? Doesn't exist. Everybody knows the truth. In fact, it's going to go through here, and, it, and, and he's going to say, if you just live in this natural world, the world tells you there is a God. And if you express any inkling of interest in that God, God will get the gospel message to you. He'll get somebody to bring it to you. But if you're against it, you will suppress that truth by your wickedness. It says, they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so that they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. That's the process that when we start stirring up desires by what we look at, 
or think on or dwell on, we, will, we start to, our minds start to become dark and confused. And the Bible is very clear. Where confusion is, there is every evil work. It says, claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols, made to look like mere people, and birds and animals and reptiles. We don't see a lot of idol worship in our, our nation. People are too sophisticated to that. But what you do see is you see the ultimate idol worship. I am God. And if, if, if you put your ideas over God's ideas, then you have made yourself God in your own life. And if you worship your desires and your reasoning more than God's ideas and God's reasoning, then you are just as, well, let me just say, you're just as much of a fool as someone who bows down to a little golden idol. Verse 24, so God abandoned them. Now, we read that sometimes and people think, wow, God gave up on them? No, that's not what this, this is not what this means. And I'll give you a good, a good analogy. My, my mother's best friend, my mother died very young. She was 54 when she died. And, and Juanita was her best friend from, from, for years. And she kind of became my surrogate mother. And even when my mom was still alive, we, our two families, we did everything together. Her sons and, and my brothers and me, we, we, we were constantly together. We went to church together. We played together. We did everything together. But Juanita was addicted to cigarettes. She smoked. She hated it. She did it in secret because she didn't want anybody to know she smoked, but she could not kick the habit. She started as a kid, and she could not get off of it. But her, her two boys found her cigarettes, and they snuck out with some of her cigarettes, and they went to smoke. Going to try it out. Most kids do that at some point. She caught them, so she said, Guys, you want to smoke? Come on, let's go smoke. And she went and sat him down at the kitchen table. Said, let's all light up. Of course, she's been smoking since she was, I think, 14, she told me one time. So she lit up a cigarette. She put one in each of their mouths and lit them up. She said, now there's how you do it. And she inhaled big. She said, now go ahead. Well, they inhaled and they liked to choked. And she said, oh, you just got to keep going. Keep going and you'll get used to it. It'll be good. And she made these boys sit and smoke and smoke. And they smoked like three or four cigarettes till they were so sick. They turned green as a gourd. Had they, they, won, they, they couldn't get to the bathroom fast enough. One of them, had, Johnny, had to run outside to go throw up. They never smoked again in their life. When it says that God abandoned them, that's what God's doing. He's saying, okay, you want this? I'm just going to let you go whole hog. Jump in over your head. He doesn't do it because he does not desire to have a relationship with them. He does it with the intention, let them get all the way in this to see how evil and screwed up this stuff is. And hopefully at some point they will have the reaction that the prodigal son had and say, my Lord, I'm living with the pigs. My, my father's servants have it better than I do. And there are people who finally just wake up in the middle of their sin. And they say, what am I doing? Why am I here? And if they will turn, he's right there. 
That's why I say when it says he abandoned them, it does not mean he washes his hands. You're done. You're going to hell. I've given up on you. God will not give up on anyone until they depart this body and their choice is made. They go to heaven or hell. As long as you're in the body, God's working on you. He's dealing with you. He's trying to get across to you. But it says he abandoned them to do whatever shameful thing their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each, with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served the things of God that God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulge in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relationships with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Very clearly, he's talking about homosexual behavior. But then in verse 29, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that they should never have done. Now, notice verse 29, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to emphasize the rest of these verses for one reason. We read that and we get fixated. Yep, homosexuals are evil. They're bad. And, and they're in your face today. You know, we have Gay Pride Day. Pretty much every city in the country has Gay Pride Day. And, you know, you go some places like San Francisco, their parades are vile. I mean, they are in your face. We're doing this, and you can accept it or get out of the way. And we look at that, and we can recognize that that is just vile and evil. But notice how Paul links other behaviors that we don't think are quite vile and evil. It says their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling. You just get in arguments. God equates that with homosexuality. Well, it can't be that bad. Argue with Paul. Argue with the Holy Spirit. Because I didn't write this. I'm just reading what he told Paul to write. Deception. Maliciousness. That maliciousness is a desire to hurt somebody. You know, um, um, Joyce Meyer said it years ago. Hurting people hurt. When someone hurts you, your natural inclination, and we'll get them back. I remember playing basketball. We had, um, I was always the smallest guy on the court, usually. And I got, I mean, everybody knocked me around. I was 130 pounds soaking wet at that time. And, I, you know, you bump into a guy that's 250 pounds and 6'4", he stands and you go careening off. But we had one guy, his nickname was Moose, and, oh, he was, he was like a boulder. And, but he had this quality. You hit him, within the next 30 seconds, he's going to hit you back harder. And, I mean, he took nothing. Me, I never sought revenge because I was going to end up the short end of the stick. I just avoided people, you know, or took, the, took it, you know, and went on. But, but Larry's thing, and I've seen him. I've seen him bloody people on a basketball court. Somebody elbow him. Next thing you know, 
They're hobbling off with blood flowing. And it's, they never came at him a second time. That's maliciousness. You hit me, I'm going to hit you back twice as hard. And if you hit me again, it'll just keep escalating until, you know, like the old, the old movie, I'm in this till death. Or you won't, you, at some point you'll either have to kill me or the fight will never end. And if, if you're in with a crazy person, at some point you say, yeah, the price is too high. I just, you know, the old, I, I've used this example before, the old movie War Games. The computer had to figure out that nuclear war didn't work. And at the very end, when it finally learned that, it said, strange game. The only winning move is to not play. That's the opposite of maliciousness. It's what Jesus said. Somebody slaps you, turn the other cheek. You don't return evil for evil, but you pray for those that despitefully use you. You bless those that curse you. But malicious behaviors here, gossip. Ooh. That one smacks. God equates gossip and homosexual behavior. I'll tell you what, that one, that, there's not a person in this room hadn't done that one. That's universal. There are backstabbers. You ever talk about somebody and they're not around? Haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they, and they disobey their parents. That's a little blind to us because if you're adults, I mean, my mom and dad are gone. I can't be disobedient to my parents. Yes, I can. I can, I, there, are, there are, are norms and behaviors that, that are universal that have come down for generations. And when I say, forget the old way, it's old-fashioned. We're doing it a new way. Now, we, do may, we may do things in a new fashion, but there are certain laws that God set in, in place that you, you violate them at your peril. That's what Paul's talking about here. But notice, he just he keeps going. They refuse to understand. They break their promises. You ever told somebody you're going to do something and you don't do it? I've had a, a scripture, and it's, man, it's cost me a few times. It says, a good man swears to his own hurt and changes not. I've told some people I would do something, and then after I said it, it was like, oh, why did I ever make that promise? That is going to cost me. But if you're, if you're going to be found trustworthy, you better pay the price. Go on and do it. Heartless. They have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. And here's the bad part. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Well, I don't do that. Have you ever gotten so hurt so angry at someone that you just wanted to lash out so you started talking about them with other people every church split i've ever seen you know how they start offense between two people and then everybody starts taking sides divide up and eventually if it doesn't end i've seen churches split i've seen marriages destroyed I've seen, I mean, every, you think of any friendship you've ever lost, that's, that's how it happened. Because you got to where you just didn't have any mercy, I'm done, walk away. That's the fruit that, that, that Jesus is talking about here with adultery. You stir up desires, eventually this is where it's going. But it can have so many manifestations. The seventh commandment talks about adultery, but the principle works in every area of our life.
So what's the cure? Man, that's a pretty dire diagnosis. We all just headed for perdition? No. Later on in, in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 20, Matthew 5, verse 29, the cure is if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. Okay, I got to do surgery. Well, it's interesting. When it says, if your right eye causes you to sin, the Greek word there literally means the bait stick. It's the bait, it's the stick that you hang the bait on over a snare to capture a, a little animal. It's a different word than we saw in James, but it's the same principle. When, when James says that your desires will entice you, they bait you. Here, Jesus is saying, if something causes you to get baited and pulled off into this, cut it off. If, if, you, if you have cable, I'm just going to hit all of us. If you have cable vision and there are shows that you know you should not be watching, cut it off. Take a shotgun and blow your TV up if you have to. Now, I know that sounds radical, but it's like, well, you know, most of what I watch is on sports. That's fine. Go eat a great steak. Go out this afternoon and you get you a porterhouse, 24 ounces, cooked perfectly, seasoned perfectly, and you eat 90% of it, and that last 10%, you poison it. 90% of it was great. 10% of it was poison. See how you feel after you eat the whole thing. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying if there is anything that's baiting you, pulling you away from me in a relationship with me, cut it off. Don't follow that don't let that pull you off he used the 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 whole um um cause here or the 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 example of sexual desire if you have a problem with that don't dwell on it go over on something else and get your eye on something else and whatever this is that's trying to bait you put it out of your life it may mean that, that, that you have to give up a computer or you have to go somewhere and you have to say look Here's my computer, but I got to have some software on here to where, you know, they, they make it for kids. It can get to no, it, it can't get to any pornography. It can't get to any um, uh, websites that you, unless you approve them. And if you're a husband, you give your wife the key. Here's the password. Here are the sites. Here are the websites. I will never delete the history. Teach her how to go look at the history of where you've been. Well, that's pretty, pretty bold, pretty open. But that's what it takes if, if that thing's enticing you. And especially if you're like most people, we're, we're, we're good Americans. My age group, you were exposed to pornography pretty young, most of us. I think I was eight the first time my brother brought. He went and stole a magazine out of a drugstore and brought it home. Now here, look at this, eight years old. Well, if that won't warp your mind... You think that's bad, your grandkids or your kids are exposed to it on these little handheld computers we call cell phones. They're exposed to it sometimes four, five, six years old they can get to it. And you think, well, they don't know how. My granddaughter, now this wasn't pornography, my granddaughter was three years old. She had a little game on, on her mom's iPad that she liked to play. And all she knew was, three years old, all she knew is you'd keep hitting buttons and swiping, and Nadine didn't have her credit card password protected. 
And next thing you know, this three-year-old has gotten on some website, and she saw this bubble game, and it was a screensaver, and it was an innocent thing. But she bought it, paid for it, and installed it as a three-year-old. I mean, she figured it out because she just kept working at it. Mama password protected her, her credit card real quick after that one because that cost her about only 10 bucks. But still, if a three-year-old can get that done, believe me, if you don't have stuff controls on your, on your screen time or on your computers, you need it for your kids, but you probably you may even need it for you. Let me go a different direction. Let's say you just love politics, but it makes you mad, and you're constantly hateful about it. Quit watching the news. Quit watching the political programs. I'll be honest with you. I, don't wa I, I watch uh, the business programs a little bit in the morning just to see how stocks and, and are doing, hear a little bit of business news. They get on to politics, man, I'm on another station. I won't listen to it. Don't want to talk about it. None of those people ask my opinion, and they don't not interested in my opinion. I give my opinion when I vote. It's all the power I've got, and it's a great power. But I could stay stirred up and angry about politics 24 hours a day if I allowed myself to get over there. I just won't go there. I'm not going to let my brain stay stirred up and stay angry about things I can't control. Same principle here. Pluck it out. Get rid of it. Now, we have to make sure that we don't run off to the other ditch because in the, in the first century, there were a lot of Christians who looked at the world and let's, I mean, you know, <clears throat> if you look at Daniel and you look at the progression of, of, the, um, of the world powers, Daniel predicted that the, that the um, Medo-Persian Empire would conquer the Babylonians and then the Greeks would conquer the Medo-Persians, and then the Romans were going to come, and he didn't name them by name, but he described them, and the descriptions were very spot on. <clears throat> but it, the, 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 supposedly the greatest of those powers was going to be Rome. But you know what? Greece, even though they got conquered militarily, they conquered Rome in the end. When, when, especially with this idea of marriage, when the Romans conquered the Greeks... They honored marriage. There, there wasn't a divorce in Roman history until after they conquered Greece. By the time of Jesus' arrival, most people marked their, their lives by how many marriages they had, and some of them had 30, 40, 50 marriages. They would get married sometimes and just stay married for a few months, and then they're on to somebody else. And the Jews were no better. They got divorced, the law said, and there were two schools of thought in the Jewish law. One school of thought said, we've got to have a lot of restrictions on this right of divorce. One said, no, there's no restrictions. If your wife burns your supper, you can divorce her. Well, I'll leave it to you to figure out which one of those ideas won out in the end. The easy divorce won out. And when Jesus made these comments in a Sermon on the Mount, Divorce was rampant in the Jewish culture. You get divorced for anything. All you had to do was get two adults, males. Now, here was the trick. Women could not divorce their husbands except under extraordinary circumstances. 
Men, all you have to do, write out that I divorce you. I have to give a reason. Take two adult males, hand her the paper, and you're divorced. And she's out on her own. That's all it took. That's why Jesus addressed this. But it all came down. In fact, the, the Greeks so conquered the Roman culture that by the time Paul went to Corinth, they had an entire um, um, temple devoted to the Greek goddess Artemis. The Roman was Venus, the god of love. And they had thousands of temple prostitutes. For the Greeks, you had a wife for bearing children. You had a concubine for comfort. And when you wanted to have sex, you went to the temple and had sex with the temple prostitutes. And everybody accepted that. And Paul, in the city of Corinth, those are his church members. They're coming in with this attitude. And Paul gets to say, guys, and I'm sorry, but this is not God's way. Well, when you've been raised that way, that's a little bit of a cultural shift. That's why he had to say, we got to do something special. One of the ways that people reacted to that was they became hermits. They withdrew from the world. We see the same thing in modern times. You see monasteries. I'm, I'm just going to go devote myself to prayer and fasting. That's it. No. God's called us to be salt in the world. We're not of the world, but we're supposed to be in the world. If we're not in the world dealing with people about these issues, how do we affect the world? We can't. But we have to be careful when we get in this that we don't take on their desires and let that pollute us. How do you do that? Psalm 37 is the best answer, and we're, we're going to close real quickly with this. Psalm 37, verse 4, Delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. That word delight means to be soft or pliable. Lord, I, 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 am, I am your clay. You shape me how you want to. If you do that, he will give you what you're asking, but he will also plant that desire in his desire in your heart so that, that you will want what he wants. Because it says he will give you the desire of your heart. That's your inner man. That's your spirit. That's who you really are. And your spirit will always want what God wants because you're joined. You're one with Christ in your spirit. In fact, Romans 12, this is where Paul said, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I, be, I beg you, brethren, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Verse 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let those desires of your inner man become the desires of your soul your mind your will your emotions how do you do that you give yourself over to god's word and the study and the renewing of your mind you quit thinking like you used to think or like the world thinks and you figure out what god says and start thinking like that but what do we do when we foul up this is our last one and this is this is where the rubber meets the road galatians 6 verse 1 through 5 brethren if a man is overtaken in any trespass you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. The word there for burden is a, is a load that will drive you into the mud. If you get into the water, it'll pull you to the bottom and drown you. It's an overwhelming load that you cannot deal with by yourself. 
That's why I've said it before. We are a community of believers. God has called us into community so we can deal with each other when we need help. We pray for one another. We, we walk in love towards one another. We need one another. Why? Because I'm going to have some things in my life that I cannot deal with by myself. He says, when you do that, you fulfill the love or the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work. Then he will have rejoicing and himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own burden. Same English word, different Greek word. This is the, 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 that word means the cargo of a ship. It means the load God's called you to call, to carry. This is your function in life. I've created you to pull this load. You pull your load, and when you get into something that you can't handle by yourself, you call your brothers and sisters in Christ and let them help you to pull that load. And usually when you get into something that you can't handle, you probably, unless you have faced it many times and have overcome it, you're probably going to get overtaken in a trespass. You find out you can't handle it when you fall, and you're out in sin. Then you run to 1 John 1, 9. You say, Lord, your mercy's unfathomable. I did it. I'm guilty. Forgive me. And he cleanses you. But if you're not going to go into it again, that's when you have to get accountability partners. You have to get people to pray with you. You have to get people to stand with you. And you have to be open enough to share your heart. This is my weakness. I need help in this area. And that's a dangerous thing for people to do. Because when you admit that to another person, you have opened yourself to be wounded and hurt. They know your weak spot. That's why it's... it's it's a, a huge responsibility for us as believers. Someone admits a fault to you, boy, you share that. I, I'm telling you, God is not impressed if you share that with others. You take that one to your grave. We have to learn to keep things private and take them to the Lord. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes you'll, get, you'll be praying for someone and God will, will show you something that you need to pray for them. Don't you dare run to somebody else and say, we need to pray about brother so-and-so about this. If God shows it to you, he's called you to pray about it, not gossip. Remember, Romans chapter 1, gossip is the same as homosexuality. It's, a, it's as vile, in fact, it's more dangerous because we look at homosexuality and say, yeah, that's an obvious sin, I'm not going there. Gossip, yeah, we're not really gossiping, I'm sharing prayer needs. No, you're gossiping. Hit your knees and pray about it. That's what God's called us to do. Amen? Amen. We can overcome these things, but it's going to take a conscious decision to pursue God and his word and not pursue your desires. And when something pulls you off, get it out of your life. Don't allow it. Say, nope, not going there. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.